Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrads.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, big weekend for us here at SCG. Last night we had a big graduation where we, uh, we had all of our uh, Rooted people who went through the last 10 weeks. They graduated. So uh, if you were in Rooted this last 10 weeks, can you just raise your hand? We should get, yes, there you go. All right. Good for you guys. Uh, those of you who didn't raise your hand, feel that shame and embarrassment upon yourselves. That's fine. That's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, we had a great, great time, and uh, uh, it was fun celebrating last night. Okay, a couple quick things, um, business things we need to get out of the way. First is if you are new here, we're just glad that you are here with us, and you decided to come and hang out, and, and maybe somebody brought you, and so what they need to do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if we have enough, here's what we're going to do. We have these butter bars, and we give them away to all the new people, it's just incredible dessert, and if you brought someone, maybe, if they have enough, maybe you can grab one with them. So bring them up, be like, this is my friend, I brought him. So I should get a butter bar as well. All right, so go ahead and try that afterwards. See how that works out. Can't make any promises, but we'll see. Um, also, uh, youth has their big uh, Hume Lake uh, camp coming up. And if you don't know about that, that is a, a huge deal. We pack that thing out and we sell out every year. And so if you want to get rid of your kids, I mean, if you want them to experience Jesus... Uh, for a week this summer, you need to make sure they get to that camp, okay? And so make sure they get signed up. You can do that uh, online, and um, yeah. Okay, a Christmas season it is happening, and so we have a ton. If you've ever been around Seacoast for the Christmas season, it is, it's a lot of fun. You've already seen probably some of the decorations as you came in. If you came in through the, the patio, you, you already see the houses and things getting set up. We do an entire Christmas village. And, uh, and so we're doing things a little bit different than we did in the past years. We are going to have our December nights on Saturday nights right after service, okay? And so they'll be after service. And so all the major things that we do, like we have, um, I think first, yeah, first week is we're, we're lighting up the village. Second week is the pictures with Santa. And then we have the snow hill and in and out. All that that happens on Saturday nights after the service. And what I know what you're I know what you're thinking is I've seen you do this before. Is you think, all right, well, let's see, service at five, then I'll show up at six. Don't do that. You're missing the point here, all right? So um, we actually, uh, those of you who are parents, we figured out your trick. And so we are going to um, I don't want to say bribe your children to be here for service, but we give them like SCG cash, Christmas cash, and they can spend it in the village, but they can only get it at service. <laughs> you see what we did there? Yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, and then the village will be open after um, service on Sundays as well, but you're just, uh, the big event stuff is going to be taking place on Saturdays, okay? Uh, also, we have these Christmas Advent blocks. We introduced these last week, something that we're just going to do where it's a tradition that you can start with your family, and if you've ever done an Advent calendar, it's kind of like that, and there's a devotional that goes along with it, and so every day you can read something about the Christmas story, and you can turn over these blocks, and, and I guess um, we did a decent job announcing these last week because they sold out already. Yeah, I know. Sorry, Zach. Why are you announcing it? Um, just so that you know that you missed out. No, here's what we're going to do. Um, is if you go and you order these today, we can have them shipped and then here for your pickup for next weekend. All right, so we don't make any money on these things. This is just something fun that we want to do uh, as a church. And so if you want these, we can get them, but you got today. All right, so you got to order them. You can pick, it up, pick them up next weekend. 
Um, also, we have Adopt-A-Family trees that are out on the patio, and that is for kids who um, are, are in need, and they may have a great Christmas. It's a way for us to provide for them, and so you pick up one of those, and you can either order their present or you can bring it here. And also, um, all of our Christmas Eve services. So that's taking place. Um, we have the family service on the 23rd. So if you have kids that are in it's usually junior high, elementary, um, you want to be at this service. So it's different than the other Christmas Eve services. So you're probably going to have to do double duty. Um, you can never get too much of Jesus. And so on the 23rd, you can be here for the, the family service at 6 o'clock, and it is wild. Like, it is crazy. If you are a great-grandparent, you want to avoid this service. <laughs> it gets wild. Um, but that's going to be fun. And then Christmas Eve services on the 24th, we have what, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. All right, so make sure you pick one of those services. And then finally, I just want to thank you for uh, your continued generosity. We talk about giving, and we just did a whole thing and, and rooted about giving. And um, just to give you a little bit of insight is um, we have done really well through this whole 18-month craziness. Um, we've seen a little dip recently. And so if you're not a person who has, has given, we ask that you would jump in and be a part of the community here. If you are someone who gives, and, and maybe you can give a little bit extra, we would ask you to do that. And kind of towards the end of the year, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but that's pretty important for for us. Okay, can I get rid of these now? I've done, my, I've done my duty here. Thank you. Oh, you're such a great wife. Thank you so much. This is my wife, everyone. Isn't she amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Brownie points is what that is. Brownie points. Uh, anyway, all right. So we are going to be finishing up our series today. Uh, we have been going for the last three weeks through the book of Nehemiah. And if you're not a church person, you haven't been here, you don't know anything about the book of Nehemiah, let me just give you the real quick overview. So it's in the Old Testament, and it is about 2,500 years ago. So the book takes place in about 444 or 445 BC. And what has taken place is the, the people of Israel have disobeyed God, and so they have been uh, kind of taken out of Israel into captivity for about 70 years until they're finally allowed to go back to their homeland. And so there's different groups of people who start going back and, and trying to rebuild the city, and they begin with the temple. And then we see Nehemiah. He's a person of means because he works for the king, and he has this burden to go and rebuild the, the city wall of Jerusalem. And so the story so far has been he went back, he gathered up all the people of Jerusalem, he kind of envisions them of here's what we need to do. He gets them together and they begin to rebuild this wall. And as they're building the wall, they face different um, obstacles and opposition. And Doyle talked about that a little bit last week. And then we get to the conclusion of the building of the wall in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, verse uh, 15. Here's what it says. So the wall was completed on the 20, 25th of Elul in 52 days. And so this is, kind of, um, this is kind of where most of the time, if you are ever in church or you've ever done a Bible study on Nehemiah, this is where we might end the story. I've done this story many times, and um, this is where I usually end the story. It's because it's a nice ending. It's like the Disney ending as we go, okay, great. They did it. They did it. They were faithful. God was faithful to Tim. Everything worked out happily ever after. Fantastic. Here's the problem. That's only halfway through the book. The, the book has 13 chapters. That's only in chapter 6. And so why is it that we avoid the rest of the book? Well, today I'm going to give you a flyby. I'm going to tell you what happens. And then I want to land in the last chapter of the book because this is the most telling about the story. So in chapter 7, as we continue on, we find out that after the wall is finished, Nehemiah does some administrative work. He assigns people to various positions and responsibilities. He registers families, uh, collects offerings to fill up the treasury, and he begins resettling the city. 
And then he calls Ezra. And if you remember Ezra, Ezra was a priest who arrived in the city about 12 years prior to Nehemiah with a similar goal. He wanted to, um, he wanted to begin to rebuild the city, but more importantly, he wanted to see if he could uh, begin to rebuild their faith. He wanted to see if he could, he could bring them back to the, the faith that many of them had lost. And so um, he brings out Nehemiah, and Nehemiah begins to read the scriptures, something that probably many of them have failed to do or didn't know much about. And he begins to read them, but he reads them in such a way and explains them that it begins taking hold of their hearts. And they get so excited, and here's what they do. Because I know that this is what you do. When you're really pumped, you're really excited, what is the thing that you want to do in that moment? Have a church service, right? No, I'm with you. So for the next seven days, they have church. And so uh, Ezra preaches for about half the day, and then they celebrate and worship the other half of the day, which I know sounds like a perfect vacation for many of you. That's what you want to do. No, okay. A revival breaks out amongst all the people of Jerusalem, and uh, eventually it leads to a time of confession and repentance for their sins. They even go through the history of Israel, and they recap, okay, here's how God has been faithful to us, and he's fulfilled his promises, and here's the ways that we have fallen short, and kind of the, the discipline and the, the, the consequences of that. And as they recap their history, and they think about how good God has been, and then their rebellion, they say, you know what, um, we don't want to do that again is every time we have rebelled against God and we've decided that something else is more important than him, um, it has ended really badly. And so we're going to make a promise right here in front of one another, in front of God. In fact, we're going to sign this, and we're going to say that we will continue to put God first in everything that we do. Because look at how life turns out when God is first. And look at how it turns out when he's not. And so today, we're going to promise in front of one another, in front of God, that we will no longer put something else in the first spot of our life. And then they end with a big celebration of dedicating the wall, and they have choirs that are singing, and it's amazing. Now, this would also be a great ending to the story, but that's not the ending. There's still more to come. If we go all the way back, or if we go all the way to chapter 13, we find out that um, Nehemiah has gone back to the king for a year or two to kind of check in and make sure things are good. And as he is hanging out with the king, he thinks about his people, he thinks about Jerusalem, and he says to the king, hey, can I go back and can I check on them? Now, I've spent a lot of time, a lot of energy. I care deeply about these people. I just want to make sure that they're living up to what they promised to live up to. And so he heads back into the city. And as soon as he gets back into Jerusalem, he is, he is um, not just surprised. He's angry. Because they have relapsed into all the things that they promised they weren't going to do anymore. So the first thing that he sees is what's happened to the temple. This is supposed to be like where God dwells. This is where they worship. This is supposed to be the centerpiece of the city. He goes in there and he sees that it's in total disarray. People aren't showing up anymore. They're not worshiping. They're not giving. That the, the priests have left because they couldn't sustain themselves because no one's showing up. And so, in fact, here's a kind of a, a little thing that um, really, I think, bugged him. Is there's this guy named Tobiah, and if you remember, he was the main opposition to this building project. He is not only an enemy of Nehemiah, he's an enemy of God's people. And he has taken up residence and built himself a nice little apartment within the temple. Oh, this is, oh, he's not having this, so here's what he does. Verse uh, 13, 80 says this, I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. So he walks in, and he goes, are you kidding me right now? Just starts throwing couches out windows. He just said, this is ridiculous. Tobiah better not come back here, because if I see him, there's going to be trouble. And he continues on. He goes and he starts looking at um, kind of the people's schedules. 
And as he's watching, he realizes that one of the central commands that God has given them to honor the Sabbath, they're breaking. They continue to work on the Sabbath. Uh, the thing that got them in trouble. And so here's what he says in verse 17. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us, on the city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. And so he reminds them, do you not remember the last time we did this? You remember what the consequences are of, of disobeying God and his commands? And so the next Sabbath, he shuts down the city, he closes the gates, he says, look, nobody's moving, nobody's doing anything for the Sabbath day. We're all just going to buckle down and we're going to worship. We're going to observe the Sabbath. But he sees outside the walls that people are still moving, that there's still people setting up shop outside, that they're, they're waiting for the gates to open up. They're still trading, they're still working, they're not obeying the Sabbath. And so here's what he says, verse 21. But I warned them and said, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. <laughs> okay, I love that, right? Like Jesus, like, okay, so Doyle talked last week. We follow Jesus. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus didn't show up yet. And so he's like, look, I'm going to lay hands on you, all right? You keep acting like this, I'm going to have to lay hands on you. So they go back uh, to honoring the Sabbath. But then he starts to hear about the marriages that have taken place, the relationships. And he hears that the people of Israel, who are supposed to be God's chosen people, who worship the, the God of, of, of Israel, have begun to marry pagans. People who, who not just don't believe in this God, but adamantly resist and are enemies of God. They have started to, 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 to marry one another. And so here's what he says. Um, he says in verse uh, 25, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled their hair. I love it. This is awesome. And he didn't just like pull their hair. He pulled their beards out, which is not only got to be incredibly painful, but embarrassing. You just walk around and it's all splotchy. And it's like, what happened? Oh, Nehemiah, he got all crazy on me, you know, and it was a whole deal. Continue on. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that, king, uh, that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are all doing this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? So he's going, look, have we learned nothing from the past? King Solomon, the wisest man to live up until Jesus, he does, this, he does this very same thing where he goes and he starts intermarrying with people who are not of the same faith, who are enemies of God. And what was the consequences? Not only was there devastating consequences on, in King Solomon's life, but it is the thing that led to the destruction of Israel. It wasn't just consequences for his life. We have been experiencing the consequences ever since. And yet here you are doing the exact same thing that he did. And so he makes them uh, make another promise. You're going to live up to um, your dedication to God. You're not going to break his laws anymore. And here's how the story really ends. Verse 31. Remember me with favor, my God. He just is going, look, these people are messed up, dude. I have been faithful. I'm trying but you see what I'm working with here? People are idiots. I, I can't deal with these people. And so at the end of the day, God, uh, don't 
hold me accountable for what they're up to. These people are just a disaster. That's the end of the story. <laughs> awesome, right? I would make a great Disney movie, realistic Disney movie. But kids, I want you to watch this. This is how life actually turns out, okay? Your prince going to get fat and ugly. All right, there he is right there. So what's the point of this story? Along the way, there's great lessons that we can learn about Nehemiah and, and some of his leadership and about uh, the people of Israel and about teamwork. And there's all those great principles, and I think all those are true. But, like, what's the big point of this story? If this is how it ends, what, what, were, what, were, we what were we supposed to learn from this? Usually, um, we try to point out all the things that they got right. But I think we're supposed to also see all the things that they got wrong. And so I want to point out maybe three just very simple observations of things that they failed at that we, we can learn from. First one is this, is they failed to put God first. Um, Doyle made this point last week, and, and pretty much if you go through any story in the Old Testament, this will be the point of it at, so, at, at some point in the story, is they just failed to put God first. It's just over and over and over again. If you read any of the stories throughout the Old Testament, you have this cycle. I'll talk about it in a minute. cycle of apostasy in which they keep putting their wants and desires before God. And it ends really, really badly. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Soviet dissident, spent eight years in, in the gulag and a, a writer and a speaker. In 1983, he was given the Templeton Prize at the uh, Buckingham Palace for all of his work. And in this speech, it has become a very famous speech. There's one paragraph that sticks out. I want to read it for you. Here's what he says. He says, more than half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Since then, I've spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution in the process, I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own towards the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But, and this listen to this, but if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all of this has happened. See, history, at the end of the day, can really be boiled down to, I think, one root cause of our issues. And he nails it right here. And the Old Testament told us over and over again, and I think we keep repeating it, is the problem with, with Russia was they had forgotten God. The problem with Israel is they had forgotten God. I think the problems that we're experiencing today, at the, the root cause, is we have forgotten God is we have forgotten who has given us all these blessings. We have forgotten who, who actually um, holds these laws and these rights that we have together. Men have forgotten God. And this is usually the root of all of our problems as well, is yes, there may be symptoms that we have, and, and they manifest themselves in different ways, but at the bottom, the, the cause of all of our issues are that we have forgotten God, that we have drifted, that we have compromised, that we have made something else the central priority of our life. Second thing I think we can learn here is um, they failed to learn from their past. Now, I'm going to make a big claim for a moment, uh, maybe sound a little bit crazy, is I think that God has given us the ability to predict the future to a degree. And even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not even sure you believe any of this stuff, I think that you believe this. Because at some point in your life, probably many times in your life, you have said something like, how did I or how did they not see this coming. 
Like, how did they not know that this is where it was going to end? How are they surprised that this is the result? It's as if you could predict the future and you knew it was going to end in this place. Because what God has given us the ability to do is we're able to look at the past, the things that we have learned and observed, and apply it to the present so that we can predict the future. So um, if you're a parent, you know that uh, there is some very clear and obvious examples of this happening. You watch your kids and you go, this is not going to end well. This is going to end really badly. And even if you tell them, this is going to end badly, they go, no, it's not. I'm five. I know lots of things. <laughs> go, okay. All right. We'll see how this goes then. And sometimes, because they uh, have gotten on your last nerve, you go, all right, try it. Let's see what happens. It's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait. Can I wait? I need to film this. Let's watch this. Let's see how this goes. I was asking Amy, I said, um, out of the countless examples of our children knowing better than us and being able to predict the future better than us, um, what has been probably the most, either your favorite or most traumatic? And she said, well, the most traumatic one um, happened about uh, four or five years ago. Our middle child, Ezra, um, was really into uh, Toy Story. And so he would wear his Buzz Lightyear outfit on the daily. Like we had to buy two to rotate them because he was wearing them so much. And so him and my daughter... And my wife were at Target, which is their uh, regular stomping grounds. And they, they finally get throughout the store. They pick up whatever they need, and they get to the self-checkout. And as Amy is checking things out, they're causing some commotion. And so Ezra is sitting in the kid's seat, and Sienna is egging him on to fly. Um, because Buzz can fly. Why can't you fly? And this whole time, Amy has been saying, guys, stop, sit down. This is dangerous. You can't stand up in this cart. You can't do that. Well, the minute that she turns her back, they think, this is an opportunity to test our theory. Can Buzz fly? And so apparently, uh, Ezra, I think he's about three or four at the time, stands up and attempts to fly. Now, you can predict the future. Because <laughs> guess what happened? He didn't fly. In fact, he, he went straight head first into the target floor. Um, bullseye. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> it's, uh, I just thought of that right now. <laughs> that was good. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and so Amy sees, I mean, he's hysterical. Sienna, I think, is enjoying it a little bit too much. But he is, he is just losing it. So she gets on there, and she sees the result of what has happened, which I will show you a picture in a moment. And... Uh, and so she starts crying. The Target employees have not been prepared for this, okay? They don't know, like, they're, they're like, I'm looking in the manual. Buzz Lightyear flying is not in here. I don't know exactly how to respond. So they go, we're calling 911. And she goes, no, 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 don't call 911. I don't want to deal with that. And in that moment, a lady comes and uh, I think taps her on the shoulder and goes, um, excuse me, can I, can I interrupt for a moment here? What you want to imagine? He's like, what, what do you want? Like, cut me in line. I don't care. You know, this is a, it's a mess. She goes, I go to Seacoast. Can I help you? And so she takes Sienna, and uh, they just leave everything there. I don't even know if we paid for it or not. I don't know what happened. Uh, she helps her out to the car. She calls me, which I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, I'm at work. Like, sorry? You know, this is what you signed up for? You wanted kids? I don't know. I don't know what you want from me. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, so I drive over there, and I meet them, and she's so, like, distraught that, 
uh, she wants me to take them home, and so I load them all up, and we get home, and it's just this big mess, and, and oh, I have a picture uh, to see what it looked like when I showed up there. Yeah. Wow, look at that thing. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's how things were going. And, um, <laughs> and so we get back, and, you know, we figure it out, and it's, you know, whatever. Um, but there's that moment in which, you know, they're young, and so you can't, but you just want to go, now, you didn't see that coming? You, that this is a surprise to you. you? You didn't think that this was going to be a result? Because everybody around you knew that this was how it was going to happen. And here's the thing. You can say that about a little kid and go, okay, fine, I get it. But this is how we act all the time, is people around us, okay, let's say this. You watch other people, and you look at their life, and you go, you think that's going to work out? You, you don't see this, this, this is going to be the result? Yeah, because this is kind of where that path is heading right now. And this is one of the reasons why uh, Nehemiah keeps referring back to Israel's past, because he says, look, you know how this turns out. We've seen this story many times before. The Old Testament tells this story over and over and over again. And yet you think this time it's somehow going to turn out differently. He points out that they're just making the same mistakes that they made over and over and over again. Solomon says that the failure to learn from our past in Proverbs 26, 11 is as, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. That's a good visual for you. <laughs> Next time you think, oh, you know, it's going to work out different. Just think, I'm eating my vomit right now. All right. That was also not in my notes. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and, and so look, this is not like profound. I get that. This is very simple learning is, hey, we should learn from the past. I get it's, it's not a profound insight, but for some reason, it's really difficult for us to apply it. Is we all know this to be true. We all know that we should look at the past and how that ended up is probably how it's going to end up for us. And so we shouldn't do that. But it becomes very difficult to actually apply this to our life. And I don't know if it's because we're just willfully ignorant and we put our head in the sand and we don't want to deal with it. Or, and this is probably more likely, is somehow we believe that we're the exception to the rule. It's not going to turn out different for us. Or it is going to turn out different for us. All those other people, I get it. It happened to them. Not to me, though. Because I'm Cody. I'm special. And so maybe you can even rationalize it by pointing to that one person who ate whatever they wanted their entire life and they lived to 95. Or the person who never saved and they retired as a millionaire. You know why you can point to that one person? Because they're the only person out of the countless others who tried it and it actually worked. The rest of us are overweight and broke. <laughs> when we look at this uh, from a national level, I think we, we sometimes look at this and we go, now, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I don't know a whole lot of history, but I do recall other countries and nations trying what we're trying, and it didn't really work out well for them. And yet, here we are trying it again. And we've seen this in ourselves and in our friends as well, is I look around and I see people making decisions and I go, that has never worked before. Like, I've seen this as a pastor countless times, and yet, we're going to do it again, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And you have friends and family like that. Maybe you are the friends and family like that, where you come and there's a crisis. It's a health crisis. It's a financial crisis. This person's breaking up with you, and you say, I just didn't see it coming. And everyone around you is going, you didn't see it coming? They've been breaking up with you for like three months now. You, you've never touched a vegetable in your life. 
you spend like a maniac, and yet all of a sudden, when it comes crashing in, you go, I didn't see it coming. We saw it coming. How did you not see it coming? Now, here's the good news. The good news is that although each one of us are unique and special and we have um, different circumstances, the experience and the path and the destination um, that we're headed is not unique. Somebody else has already been down your path. Somebody else can already tell you where this path will end up. And if you don't like where it's going to end up, there's a really easy solution. Change directions. Don't go down that path anymore. I know it sounds so silly and so simple, but yet it is so hard for us to apply. Is if you don't like where this path ends up, change your direction. So go and look at somebody else who has been down that path. Maybe you're a workaholic. Where has it worked? What has been the end result of that path? Has it been a really strong marriage and kids who love you? Mm, probably not. Okay, what about the people who have left their spouse because they think that there's greener grasses over here? How has it worked out for them? How many, how many marriages have they been in now? What about the people who fail to deal with their emotional baggage? Maybe it's from family of origin. Maybe it's an addiction, an anger issue. How has it worked out for all of those people? Not well? Well, but that's the path you're on, and you don't like where it's going to end up. Well, then maybe you should stop and change directions. The issue is, is... That some of us, um, we don't even realize that we're headed in that direction. That we're on a path which we're not going to like the destination. Um, all of us are prone to drift in our relationships, in our lifestyle, our thoughts, and in our faith. And, and what causes those, those, those drifts is oftentimes not obvious to us, or the fact that we're drifting is not obvious to us. So back in the day, I used to surf, and before I had kids, and I had a life, and, and all that, you know, all that stuff. Um, and there would sometimes there'd be a current that would start pulling you. But as you're surfing, you're not really paying attention. And so maybe you'd start in front of one tower and you're surfing for a while and you look back and that tower is all the way down the beach now. And you think, I didn't even realize I was moving. How did I get here? So you have to get out and you got to go back. That's the problem with, I think, a lot of the drift that happens in our life is in our relationships and our faith and our lifestyle is we begin to drift and, and maybe it's not something big like, oh, we're just, we have an addiction or having an affair, we're doing it. No, it's just these simple little innocuous things that we just start drifting and then one day, 15 years down the road, we wake up and we go, how did I get here? I never thought that I would end up this far away from where I started. How did that happen? Well, it's just very slow and gradual. And one of the things that you have to have is you have to have this anchor point. You have to have something that's going to keep you on track. Now, I think the first and foremost thing is that's going to be a relationship with Jesus. But I also think that that in, entails that you have to have a strong community of people around you. Is you have to have a community of people who can look at it objectively, stand back and go, hey, I I'm beginning to see you drift, and you can't see it. You're blind to it. But you're going to end up in a place that you really don't want to be. That's why we, we, we push people to get in community all the time around here. That's why I love this, the rooted celebration last night. It's because it's people who are sitting down and going, okay. And it may take a while. It's not going to happen immediately. You may have to do rooted a couple of times to find those relationships in which you allow them access into your life. And they can see if you're beginning to drift or not. And then they can speak that into your life and go, hey, I'm seeing that you're heading in a direction that you don't want to go. So we need some people around us who are going to be truth tellers. And, uh... I got on some people's cases a, a couple of weeks ago, and it wasn't because I was like, you know, bitter or anything like that, but I, I really got on people's cases who were just watching online. 
because we've had a, a ton, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, uh, in our church family that haven't returned. They're comfortable watching on their couches. And, and for a very select um, ex- exception of people who can't come, um, health issues or whatever, um, most people are just playing comfortable. And so I got after him and I said, guys, here's the deal. Is first and foremost, the scriptures commands us to meet together weekly. It's a command. And so if we don't do it, what we're doing is we're living in disobedience. The second thing is you need to be here and we need you to be here. Because you need to be in these intimate relationships because what happens is if you are not, you will begin to drift. It's human nature. It's going to happen. And if there's no one around to speak truth into your life and tell you you are drifting, you will eventually drift away. And it becomes a point when you're not going to come back. And so we need to be in relationship with one another. I, uh, I ran into someone in the parking lot during the middle of the week this week, and they called me over to their car, and they said, Hey, Cody, um, I just got to tell you, I was one of those people who was watching a couple weeks ago, and you said I was comfortable on my couch. That's true. I was very comfortable on my couch. <laughs> but you were right. Um, and so I, I came back last weekend, which, by the way, I loved, I saw so many people I haven't seen in a while last weekend, and it just made my heart so happy. I was like, yes, welcome back. I love you. Great. Um, But she said, uh, you you called us out, and you were right, and so I came back, and I got to tell you, it is so good to be home. It has been a long time. And she just told me, look, I, I needed that, that push. I needed that reminder. And once I came back again, oh, why have I waited so long to be back? This is my family. I'm home. And she said, and I'm even here during the week now. How crazy is that? I'm volunteering. I'm helping with the Christmas village and all this kind of stuff because it's just so good to be back with my people. Here's the third thing is they failed to address the real issue. Is Nehemiah's real goal was not just to rebuild a wall. It wasn't a city revival uh, or to revive a city. It was a spiritual revival. And he was unable to realize this dream. And I think the reason why he couldn't see this dream fulfilled is because it was never about a broken wall or a people who had lost their confidence. Or See, we think that the issue is that they need inspiration and information. Nehemiah comes along and he gives them inspiration. We can do this. We can rebuild this. Let's do this together. And then Ezra comes along and he gives them information about the scriptures. And then they begin to celebrate. And yet it, it wore off pretty quickly. The reason is because the issue that humanity has, not just the people of Israel, that humanity has is not going to be fixed by information or inspiration. It's going to have to be transformation. Is the issue is the human heart. And he couldn't fix that. No leader can fix that. No self-help can fix that. Is the scriptures tell us that, that we're broken and we're beyond repair. And so if we're really going to see life change happen, it's got to be through transformation. So after all of this, um, and it feels like kind of a failure, and the people turn away from God, God's response is complete and total silence. For the next 400 years, God doesn't say anything. He doesn't send any prophets. He doesn't reveal anything about himself. In fact, it starts to go even further downhill. The Greeks and then the Romans take over the people of Israel, and it's as if God has totally abandoned them. They've just rebelled one too many times, and God's done. That is until one day, and we see this in the opening chapters uh, of the New Testament, a man breaks the silence. After 400 years, this wild man comes out of the wilderness. He goes down to the Jordan River, the river that they had to cross to get into the promised land. And he starts calling people to repentance. 
He says, you need to come down here and you need to get baptized. And the baptism is just a symbol that you are, are corrupt, that you're sinful, and that you need to be cleansed of this. And so he starts calling people down to get baptized, to repent of their sins. And people start to think, you know, this guy, I think he's, I think he's a messenger from God. I think God is finally speaking again. He sent us a prophet, maybe even the Messiah. And so they begin to ask, is this man, John, is he, is he the Messiah? And John says, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. I have actually just come here to prepare the way. That you need to prepare your hearts to receive the Messiah that's coming. And it's going to begin with repentance. And so I want you to come down and be baptized as a symbol that you're repenting of your sins and you're committing to God. And as he is doing this, and people are asking, who is the Messiah then? He looks up and he says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In that moment, he sees Jesus, and he says, no, no, that's the one that we've been waiting for. He is the one that is ultimately going to be able to save us. He is the one that can transform our hearts. And so today, we have the opportunity to, um, to experience and, and watch people and celebrate the fact that people are getting baptized today. And what this baptism is, it's not a preparation for the Messiah. It's a commitment to him. Is people are coming in and they're saying, you know what? I was broken and I can't fix myself. I can't transform the human heart. There's only one person that can. That's Jesus. And so I've committed my life to him, to following him. And so symbolically what has happened inside of me, this transformation, I'm going to express uh, externally, symbolically, that me going under the water is like dying to my old self. And then when I rise again in new life in Christ, I'm experiencing this cleansing of my sins. And so we get to celebrate a life transformation that's taking place today. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.